Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church podcast. My name is Ryan Cagno. The HPIC podcast brings you weekly episodes on the topic of discipleship, where we'll sit down with members of the HPIC family to hear their stories, hear about the different ways people at HPIC are pursuing discipleship. In other words, how they are learning to follow Jesus' example and obey his teachings in their daily lives in practical ways. This week, I'm sharing the first of a two-part conversation I had with Patrick Cicero about money, economic justice, what it means to really rectify someone's material circumstances and bring justice there. The first part, we get to hear Patrick's background of dealing with this as a lawyer and some of his thoughts. Uh, Next week, we'll dip more into how he thinks the church could faithfully work for economic uh, justice and well-being in the lives of individuals and communities. Really deep, um, really good conversation. I'm excited to share both parts with you. Enjoy. Patrick Cicero, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ryan. I'm glad to be here. You are... It's always a pleasure to have a cradle bick on the podcast. Uh, assuming you don't take that as a pejorative phrase to describe yourself. Um, no, I don't. I okay. don't take that as a pejorative phrase, no. <laughs> it just I embrace. You're... I embrace the fact that I have uh, grown up in the Brother in Christ Church. I am first generation... Okay. Cradle Beck, you know, my parents did dropped not grow you off up. on the stoop. Of yeah, the... well, you know, they they stayed. They dropped me off and and kind of attended and with me. And on their way away, they got right. stopped. Yeah. Yes. But that said, I am, you know, my parents are not, you know, lifelong BIC people, but I am, right? I've only ever, I've only ever been to, attended, and been members of BIC churches. Grantham, Circle of Hope, and here. Never right? Grantham. Never Grantham. Um, no, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I apologize. No, no, no. I grew up in Lang- I grew up at Lancaster Beck. Oh, nice. Okay. So I grew up in uh, Eastern Lancaster County, New Holland, um, and uh, attended Lancaster BIC from birth through uh, post college, and then um, went to Circle of Hope for three years while I was in law school in Philadelphia and was there, and then here. So Lancaster. So your Cradle Sir, Atlantic Conference. Yes, Come exactly. I, I don't I don't uh, I don't like to cross the Susquehanna River to attend BIC churches. I don't like to cross the Susquehanna River for anything. So I understand. I hear you. No offense, because you live there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you grew up in Lancaster County. You are a lawyer. I am. Okay. What is your specialty area or area of focus with that? Um. Well, let me let me just put it this way. I said I am a lawyer. I like to differentiate that I practice law and I use it as a tool, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we can talk about it's not your identity. Well, it's not it's not just that. It's not, I'm not trying to be coy about this. It's that um, uh, I have a transactional relationship with law. It's only it 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 is one means by which I try to kind of you know uh, do God's work in this world, and it. It's a set of tools, right? And so I, I approached law as a set of tools. And so, um, you know, I grew up, um, I'm a first-generation uh, college student, too. My parents, uh, my dad has an associate's degree that he got later, you know, when I was actually a child, and um, uh, but didn't go to college. My mom didn't go to college. And so, you know, I, I went to Messiah, um, and was a sociology major, and that experience um, at Messiah 
was kind of really eye-opening in terms of like issues of justice and poverty. And I think one of the, and this is all leading up to what kind of law I practice. It's just a long story. Um, so the, um, you know, the, the formative experience that I had was I studied uh, in Ecuador when I was in college and I spent a semester there. And my, my, while I was there, there were these labor strikes that were going on by migrant workers who uh, were working in kind of the, the oil fields for ExxonMobil. And there was lots of news coverage about this. Um, and there were lawyers who were representing these folks against ExxonMobil. And I thought, like, you can do this as a lawyer? Like, you can, like, actually, like, you know, I had never had any kind of real sense of what being a lawyer was or did except for, like, you know, Perry Mason or Matlock. But, like, you can actually use the law to kind of do this good thing to overcome something. And so... Matlock did a lot of good. But he go did. On, go on. He, in his... Yes, he he did. So did Perry Mason. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I got back... That was my junior year of college. When I got back to... Um, uh, to Messiah, I was talking to one of my faculty uh, members there, Rich Stevick, who grew up in the, uh, or well, actually was at Lancaster BIC and then at Grantham BIC, but he was a psychology faculty member at Messiah. And I was kind of telling him about, you know, this experience. And he said, oh, my son does this work, right? You know, so his son was a legal aid lawyer um, in South Texas representing migrant farm workers at an organization called Texas Rural Legal Aid on the border. So I met with his son and learned all about this kind of fascinating world of anti-poverty law of, of legal aid work, and I was hooked. Um, and so that was kind of spring of my junior year and then explored uh, what that looked like um, and what it would mean. And so then ultimately ended up going to Temple for law school um, and went in with the whole idea that I'm going to be an anti-poverty lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer that works for kind of justice-related issues. And so I spent, a, you know, the, the entirety of the last 21 years of my law practice. I mean, I've, I graduated from law school in 2002. Um, and with the exception of a couple of years where I clerked for a federal judge, I worked in legal aid. So um, did uh, local work in Harrisburg um, at an organization called MidPen Legal Services and represented individuals facing mortgage foreclosure, uh, those who were, had to file bankruptcy because of debt-related issues, represented people being sued by their credit card company or had their cars being repossessed, um, and who were facing utility termination. And did that for about six years and then... Um, went and worked for a decade at a statewide legal aid organization called the Pennsylvania Utility Law Project, which is what it sounds like. It's a legal aid office that does utility issues, both at the Public Utility Commission kind of structurally. Um, you know, what do rates look like for low-income folks? What is What are the, the rules of the game? Um, and then we had a hotline that represented thousands and thousands of households who are facing loss of water, gas, electric um, service. Um, and after that, and then led the statewide legal aid network for a number of years um, through the pandemic, um, and was the executive director of the Pennsylvania Legal Aid Network that kind of organized and led the whole kind of kit and caboodle, and probably would still be there, um, but for the fact that um, I was asked to go lead a state agency. So 
I'm at the point in my life where I'm no law. I still identify as a legal aid lawyer, but I lead a state agency called the Office of Consumer Advocate. So I'm the consumer advocate of Pennsylvania that represents the interests of all consumers before the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission. And um, still really, you know, I view myself as a legal aid lawyer who happens to be the consumer advocate um, as opposed to something different than that. So as a long way of saying that um, the kind of law that I practice is anti-poverty law, legal aid, kind of like uh, consumer work. Driven by this um, conviction that came upon you when you were at Messiah toward justice issues, and you've kind of ridden that wave for the subsequent 25 years or so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I would not be a lawyer if I had to do something different. Like if somebody told me I had to work at a law firm and like represent the interests of corporations, I wouldn't do it. Um, I, I would go do something else. Right. Um, so it really is. And I, and I say, I, I kind of said at the beginning, like I view law as a tool, right? Like it, that's what it is for me. Like I have no love or fascination for this profession other than the fact that I think there's so much that you can do to overcome structures and you have to kind of know that system to be able to do it. Um, and, um, for me at least, it was like learning a, a new language that I could uh, speak to like the kind of powers and principalities of this world on behalf of people who are being victimized by those folks. And so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it's all rooted in my um, kind of this conviction that I gained at Messiah, which really is rooted in, you know, uh, I've always had, uh, even from when I was young, uh, a, a kind of sense of like, the world being an unfair place for some people and wanting to write that. Um, this is channeling that um, in a in a particular direction. Yeah, it's something I admire greatly. I, when I think I told you a month or two ago how I, I'm probably the polar opposite in terms of my sophistication and my ability to navigate the complicated world we live in. I, um, yeah, I came this close, like a hair's breadth from signing up for one of those door-to-door, -door, like, inspire clean energy things or whatever. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a easy mark. I can't get out of Barnes and Noble without s signing up for a seven magazine subscriptions. It's just my life's a nightmare in that regard. So I respect, um, you know, and I respect your desire to learn that language for the sake of hapless folks like myself and, and people that are, um, taken advantage of by, by the system. Um, that can be for the for us normal folks really like inscrutable and seemingly impossible to navigate. Um, in regards to the church, um, how would you grade our navigation of those systems? Um, and, and assuming that we're not passing with flying colors, like could you diagnose um, some of the problems? for us in terms of how we wade into issues of economic justice specifically. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I think it's an, uh, an interesting question. This has actually always been the like cognitive dissonance that I felt with the church, right? Because for me, um, you know, I've never like, you know, I, I mean, again, gr having grown up brother in Christ, you know, there is this like, uh, 
um, kind of strain that is is about you know uh, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, right? You know, and there's also the strain of evangelicalism that flows through at least in my lifetime of being brother in Christ that really talks about like personal accountability and even our like holiness pietist strain, right? Really is about like that level of kind of like your relational accountability to to God. And that has made sense to me in a variety of ways, but it's never you know the 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 struggle that I've seen in the church over the years is I see us taking that and like superimposing it on people's relationship with the world, right? So for example, um you know, we kind of superimpose individual responsibility and accountability onto people's relationships with financial entities, banks, lenders, you know, their job, their workplace. And they're not benevolent gods, right? You know, like it's one thing to say, you know, you 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 like have to have a personal relationship and accountability to a God is full of grace and love and mercy. It's another thing to have that with um, the credit card company yeah. or, you know, a Man predatory lender. does not lender. have your best interests at heart. No, know? Right. And so there was this, there's this disconnect. Right. And there's, and that has always like bothered me. Right. So I actually don't think our, uh, the church as a whole and our church specifically, um, does a really good job of like trying to overcome structural injustice in the communities that we serve. You know, um, we, we care, I think, I believe that we care deeply about these issues, but we tend to use the same kind of lens. We, for example, um, help people um, develop discipline in budgeting or help people kind of, you know, um, uh, develop the discipline of, um, you know, simple living that might try to resist the, the temptations or whatever, the material things of this world. That is good. I know I'm not disparaging that, but like the world's coming at people and um, not all, um, not all situations are the same. And when we try to superimpose our, our personal accountability and personal responsibility onto what I see are really systems of injustice who are hell bent on and I really mean hell-bent, right, on um, destroying people, um, it doesn't work. Um, Would you say that th- those efforts amount to tending symptoms? Or a different way of saying it, it's just we're, we're meeting people at a level that's way downstream of some of these malicious causes of of their struggles. and. Yeah, I... Well, yes, I think at its best, it's tending symptoms. I think at its worst, it is actually reinforcing structural injustice because we're like paying, you know, for example, we rather than, you know, if somebody gets into a bad situation, rather than using our church's resources, maybe to, I don't know, pay an attorney to represent that person in a legal action against this you know, predatory auto lender or predat subprime mortgage company, you know, we're paying their back mortgage, right? We're getting them caught up, right, to a lender who is, right, 
pernicious and um, bad, right? And there may have been fraud in the fraud in the context of the of the underlying um, financial product. And you know, we're using our community's money to enrich that person because we feel like we want to help, right? You know, so our our I don't know that it's not it's not it's love, right? You know, and the world does this all the time. The world uses Christian love, right, um, and takes advantage of it. Um, and so I think you know, like in my mind, this is a both and, right? We both need to care about the immediate, right? We don't want this person to be homeless, so yes, we might pay this month, but we are not um, uh, going to let that person flounder in the context of an uh, of an unjust relationship with a financial lender. So we're going to help them get out of it. Yeah, I appreciate you saying both and because I think some people would be tempted to throw out the t- attending to the immediate um, because of, you know, they're getting taken advantage of, you know what I mean? I, I think of, you know, the advice I was given as a teenager of don't give money to the person panhandling because they're not going to use it well, X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, um, if I can, if I can feed that person today at some level, I need to set aside whether or not I'm enabling them in the long term meeting that immediate need is good, but also attending to, and maybe giving priority to the factors that cause that person to be, um, you know, homeless in the first place, um, being quote, you know, shrewd as serpents and, uh, in, in how we're handling things. Yeah. Well, on that point, let me, if I can, can, can I react to that a little bit? Cause Please. I actually think for individuals, you know, it is, okay to simply be charitable mm-hmm. but we as a church are called to be justice oriented yeah right so in the example you gave about you know like i i love c.s lewis's response to that you know when somebody saw him give money to a homeless person and said you know you know he's just going to go out and and you know uh buy whiskey with that and c.s lewis was said so would i right you know <laughs> so you know like so it's, you know, the money was going to be spent on whiskey anyway, right? You know, so like, I, I just think like, you know, we impose such, you know, frugality on poor people, yeah. right? And so, you know, I think for individuals, right, it makes abundant sense that like the world is so complicated and sometimes all that you can do is act out of charity and love. And yeah. that is a good thing. And I was just trying to carve out some space for their, for like folly, yeah. In, in a Christian ethic in yeah. regards to like how we handle these things. Like we, it's, it doesn't all get boiled down completely to like efficiency and uh, prudence, but <laughs> to your broader point, you know, there is a place for those things and for being wise and um, deliberate in how we approach this stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, like um, to be clear, um, I'm less concerned about efficiency and prudence than I am about um, kind of what I think is like the responsibility of the church to help people overcome um, the the things that ensnare them. That I what I call structural injustice, right? You know, um, and you know we do we. We talk about this a lot. The Bible talks about this. You know, we talk about, you know, like 
you know, unjust weights being problematic, right, in the Bible. Like, that deeply concerns God, right? Um, and so I think it deeply concerns God when the world is set up to victimize people. And I also think it deeply concerns God when the church doesn't respond to the, to, to, um, fix those systems, right? And that's really what I'm talking about. Let me give you an example of of kind of what I'm talking about. Um, you know, at, we we've had in the past, um, you know, personal financial responsibility curriculum at our church, which I think is a really good thing, right? I mean, I think there are people with lots of talents and skills in terms of budgeting and managing money that we need to teach each other that um, information. Um, but it can't end there, right? And and unfortunately, I so I was part of a process to try to develop what this looks like. And when I raise the the specter, the question of, well, what are we doing about debt that people shouldn't pay back, right? That the room was quiet, right? People were kind of aghast at the notion that there's debt that we shouldn't pay back. And I think that there is, right? There's you know subprime auto lending, there's subprime mortgage lending, there's subprime credit cards, there's payday loans, all of those things, it does more harm than good um, if we are simply, as I indicated before, paying that back, as opposed to, you know, using the tools that we have um, um, to help that person get out of that, to avoid responsibility for a debt that is unjust, unfair, onerous, and I would argue structurally evil, um, and that, you know, we shouldn't be encouraging that person as a, under the guise of personal responsibility to kind of buckle down and pay that back. So, you know, that's where I think we have a little bit of work to do in this space as a church. Um, and, um, I've not seen it done particularly well. Yeah, you said it before, in, in some measure, you know, we can't relate to, in the same way that we would relate to this benevolent, loving God who created us in this personal responsibility, individual type of way. We can't also relate to the economic systems of the world, which are bent on our destruction in the same way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another way of saying that would be uh, that the invisible hand of capitalism does not desire your well-being yeah we don't you know we we serve a loving and gracious god which allows us the freedom you know to to make mistakes and experience grace and nevertheless be personally responsible we do not serve a loving and benevolent set of lenders even under the best of circumstance but under the worst of circumstance we serve people who are abusive, who will take away your home, who will um, kick you out on the street, who will um, you know, extract as much money from you as they're willing to do. And our, I think we collectively, as a church, have a responsibility to help people overcome that. And here's, here's why. Um, this is like a rolling stone to some degree. Like when you get trapped in this cycle of debt that is pernicious, that's the only kind of money that comes looking for you. Whereas if you get, you know, uh, you you know, wealth perpetuates wealth and access to good things and 
poverty perpetuates poverty and access to these things that are ensnaring. And to just say, well, what you need to do is kind of buckle down and be responsible doesn't, rep- doesn't recognize the difference between those two fundamental facts. Um, and I think we owe it to each other to do that. And you think we've, we've kind of absorbed this ethic of personal responsibility from the, even the individualistic strain from evangelicalism, from that part of our heritage, and maybe also from our BIC Anabaptist heritage, a discomfort right. with um, being litigious, being worldly, um, using the, the tools of the world to navigate the system of the world. We have a, we have a discomfort with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think both of those, um, are right on and at the core of, of what I'm, what I'm talking about. Um, the, the two kingdom theology piece resonates with me, but I fear that we often use it as a, um, reason why we don't engage on these issues, right? Um, and I think the reality is, the lived reality of us as humans is on this side of heaven, we're living in the kingdom of the world, right? And it's our job, um, you know, Hank preaches about this all the time, it's our job to bring the kingdom of God into the kingdom of this world, right? We're the ones who show up and present God, right? And I think that um, God cares deeply about structural injustice, and I think it is perfectly appropriate for us to use the tools of this world to bring about the kingdom of God in this world. And that's really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, um, you know, uh, using the tools of the, of the world against it, right. Um, for the purpose of allowing, um, you know, God to breathe in, God to weigh in and, and kind of people be released from, you know, um, either onerous debt or, you know, kind of oppressive structures. And I think what that does is it allows us as a community um, to really create the space for people to experience, um, you know, I don't know, a more just place this side of heaven. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, when you talk about the world's tools, using it against the world, I, I mean, we're thinking of things that are, morally neutral (laughs) in some sense. I mean, we're not talking obviously about, you know, violence, any number of other things, but just like if, if we can presuppose that like legal advocacy is a neutral thing in and of itself, why not use that in the same way that, um, well, not quite in the same way, but my mind went to the way that Paul in a very unanabaptistly, um, kind of leverages his Roman citizenship towards the end of the book of Acts to, you know, he's, he's, uh, on trial in Jerusalem and he's like, I want to go to, I kind of want to go to Rome and he kind of works the system for a while. And he, he, you know, interestingly in, in ways we don't see elsewhere in the new Testament insists on his Roman citizenship and the privileges accorded to him as a result of that. Um, so, so he leverages that and he uses that tool to spread the gospel. Um, so, uh, and I think the, the end to which you're seeking is vitally important too. I think, um, I I don't want to, I don't want to leave it totally assumed that it just is a good thing. You, you've mentioned that up and down scripture, there, there's a concern shown for this. Um, I think especially in the old Testament, well, all throughout Jesus's ministry too, but in the, in the old Testament prophetic literature, 
uh, how God's people were judged in that era, the nation of Israel, the two major things that the prophets consistently bring up are idolatry and injustice towards disenfranchised people uh, economically. And in this conversation, we could argue whether or not those two things are even different or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're, I mean, I think, I think everything you just articulated is right on. I mean, I think we're all stewards of our own privilege, right? You know, like all of us have, you know, privileges um, in a variety of spaces. And like, if I have the, you know, w- one of the reasons why I chose to be a lawyer is to use that system, which I think has just been inherently oppressive over the course of our country's history. You know, it's not set up, our our system is set up to engage in and ensure procedural fairness, not substantive justice. And so, um, you know, I desperately want to bring up, use the procedural tools to try to achieve this substantive justice that is rooted in what God wants this world to look like. Yeah, the end is that vision that, you know, every mountains laid low and every valley's filled in exactly. and everyone has enough. No one has too much. If that is the, if that's a vision of the kingdom of God and that's the eschaton, that's what we are headed towards as a people, what we're anticipating and what we're wanting to bear witness to, to the world, then why wouldn't our, you know, economics reflect that and our yeah. efforts, you know, why wouldn't we be help heaven bent on, on, creating that in society as, uh, as best we can. Yeah, no, I, uh, that's absolutely right. And look, I think that for me, law is a tool for this, right? Yeah. You know, um, but it doesn't, it, like, I think this is the obligation actually of all of us, right? No matter what your um, kind of uh, profession or, you know, your skill set is. Um, and, you know, I can, an, ex- an example really of this is that, like, I think our system our, our economic system in the United States and in the West principally really un, unequally and inequitably doles out privileges and burdens. And so in the same way that I'm calling upon um, us to really look at ways we can help our brothers and sisters who have been trapped by the system, we all need to examine how we've benefited from this unjust system at the expense of others. And here's a perfect example of that, right? Many of us responsibly, and I put in air quotes, use credit cards, pay them off, and get the benefit of kind of this free, you know, bit of money for a period of time. And some of us get cash back on those credit cards or mileage or points or whatever other variety of things that people do. And we look at that as being personally responsible, right? But the reason why those points and those mileage and we get a free grace period is because there are certain other people who aren't getting that. They're paying exorbitant amounts of interest, 25, 26, 27%. Merchants are paying large exchange fees. So the only way we're benefiting is if somebody else is being burdened by that system. So the question really becomes is, is this, is this good? You know, do we have a moral obligation to say, at the very least, I'm going to turn over these benefits to the kingdom of God? 
right? Whether it's through tithing them all or giving them away or saying, I don't want the, the, the benefits that this system has, you know, arguably stolen from my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is really hard because you look at this in all kinds of ways. If you start examining it deeply, it gets real hard real quickly. But it's a perfect example of like what we think of as, you know, prudence. I'm helping my family. I'm, I'm doing all these right things. And look at me. I've navigated the system to develop all these points or whatever. Um, but Patrick, my credit score... Come on, I need to keep it up. Well, I think it is First um, John sixteen that says, um, uh, "Thou first shalt John have an, an eight hundred credit score to get into the kingdom of heaven." Mm, amen. That's the uh, it's a camel sized needle hole. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think um, I think that our the idea of responsibly providing for ourselves and our families first. Is a, is a pretty um, large and useful Trojan horse f- for all manner of ungodly attitudes and actions. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my point say. is not to not for people to feel guilt about this. My example of the credit card even is not about guilt. Sure. It's about evidencing how it's really hard. It's it's really hard as yeah. a Christian to navigate these spaces, even when you think you're doing something that is prudent, that is wise, that is being a good steward, that is, you know, taking care of all these things, you are using these systems that are at the detriment to the work to the detriment of others. And so it creates an obligation on your part, not to feel guilty. Sure. You know, people are listening and I don't care what credit card you use. So I'm not, this is not about guilt. This is about like saying, this, there are structural yeah. reasons why you're benefiting from that. And so we collectively have an obligation to tr- help overcome the structural burdens that are placed on other people. And I really mean that word collectively. I, one of the beautiful things about being a part of the church is you don't have to do it all, mm-hmm. right? So you don't have to... Um, we don't all have to care about the same things. We get to share cares and share burdens. Um, but we should release each other and support each other to do these things like caring about structural justice in a way that might feel outside of our comfort zone. So like in the context of a class on personal responsibility, we should say, you know what, I'm not, if, if you're not there, I'm not there. But you know, what you're saying sounds right. Like we should be referring people to legal aid or to a bankruptcy attorney or to somebody who's helping them. We should be rethinking that. Right. So, you know, it's not about guilt. Um, it's about um, recognizing uh, the structural component of this. Yeah, that's a, a helpful correction. I'm probably just more comfortable with guilt than you, but I'm also. Oh, no, I, I, I live in guilt. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, if, I'm speaking I mean, to myself as I mean much as I am. I'm inflicting it on else. other people. Well, okay. as your pastor, I'm comfortable with your guilt. Um, no, just, <laughs> we'll unpack that at another time. Um, no, I think it's a, a good. The, exa- the credit card example is is turning in my mind a lot right now. I think, um, you know, in the Old Testament, economics was in my, it's much easier for me to wrap my head around Old Testament economics because, like, theoretically, every family had a parcel of land mm-hmm. that was equal. The, the initial vision for the promised land was, like, everyone has their own parcel of land. Um, so it was a literal zero-sum game where 
you know, people get critiqued in, in the prophetic literature for joining house to house, which was to say, well, if you have twice as much land as your family did initially, that means someone doesn't have any, right? Uh, there, there's a direct correspondence between what I have in abundance and what someone has, you know, uh, lacking. Um, you're highlighting with the credit card thing that um, it, it gives the lie to the idea that... Um, my accrual of wealth, my gaming the system for my own benefit, whatever, however we want to construe it, it it, it still is connected outward to yes. other people, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, you know, and it is, you know, it's it's not quite so zero-sum sure. as it, it used to be given the complexity of our economy. Yeah, but, right. Um, it is not just your personal responsibility that got you there, mm-hmm. right? And... Um, it's it's um it what what it what i'm trying to what i'm trying to get our community to recognize is that um none of us lives in a in isolation yeah right you know we all live in the context of this very complicated system um and the 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 burdens of that system are not equally felt mm-hmm. and so um for me at least you know, kind of part of the, uh, I don't know, the, the obligation that I feel has been put on me by God is to lift some of those structural burdens off of people. Um, in in And for me, you know, the main tool I use is the legal profession. It's not the only tool that people can use, but it is the main tool that I use. So as I mentioned, uh, this is part one of a two-part conversation, and we'll have the second part of that conversation out uh, next week. So we'll kind of hear a little more of the, the practicals of um, where Patrick's coming from with this. So stay tuned and uh, see you again next week.